Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And that's right, you're on Dirt Radio with Colin and Sam. How are you going, Sam? Hello, Colin. It's been a while since we've been on air together. It's definitely been a long time, so don't forget Dirt Radio is a radio show by Friends of the Earth. We're here every Monday morning for 30 minutes. <laughs> Such a short space in time. Yes, too short. <laughs> yeah. So, Sam, you just came back from the other side of the Pacific. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were in the US for quite a while, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. How long did you spend there? Uh, it was, well, for me, it was pretty short. It was two and a half weeks, so it was not that long. I've spent much longer stints uh, in America. I mean, I, the first time I went there was when I was 19, when uh, the Gulf War had just begun. And then I went back again a year later and literally weeks after I left LA, the Rodney King beating happened. Um, And then I went back again just before 9-11 actually in uh, 2001. So it's the first time I've been back since 9-11 happened. When you were 20 years old, you were already uh, politically engaged? Yes, I was. I've I've always had this really um, morbid fascination with constructs of political power and it occurred to me quite early on in my teens that there were two things that seemed to be massively influencing the world that I lived in and one was America and the other was media. So they're the two things I guess I've pursued academically and intellectually and also in activism um, is trying to deconstruct uh, the power of the U.S. empire, which has always seemed uh, a bizarre contradiction of violence and supposed benevolence. And I guess as I've aged, I've come to see it as there is this concept, much like the Australian mythological, you know, identity of um, bushrangers and, you know, um, Drovers, etc. Uh, America is the same, but America's is, America's national identity is completely intertwined with uh, the concept of military prowess and dominance and violence, violence <laughs> and all yeah. of those things. Um, but at the same time, what they sell to the world through their propaganda arms, particularly their culture and Hollywood, which has become you know this global kind of signification that we share about what America is. Uh, is the constant hero, the militarised, hard-bodied hero. So I've always had a fascination with that and I think that was uh, absolutely peaked with 9-11 for me uh, because that was such a global spectacle of horror and destruction of, you know, the heart of modernity of America. And, And yet at the same time it became the excuse uh, for authoritarian regimes, which I would include America in, uh, to exercise brutality and force over domestic populations as well as foreign nations. So you spent like two weeks and a half yeah. in the US. You just came back. This is like mm. a big time at the moment. There is the elections going on. There yep. is the Black Lives Matter yep. going on. I'm sure you will be able to talk about all of that. Could you please mm. explain to us where you've been and who you met during this trip? Sure. Uh, so I went to Chicago 
and met up with some relatives that I have there, but also with some activists, friends. Um, so people that are organising uh, both around electoral politics, union-related uh, matters and anti-war matters, I guess. Um, and organizing in really broken communities. So I went down to Michigan City and stayed with a friend who uh, 3CR listeners have probably heard him on this show or, or Solidarity or other shows, uh, Vince Emanuele, who's an ex-Marine turned anti-war activist mm-hmm. uh, and a writer. So uh, he took me around and showed me some of the sort of decimated components of the Rust Belt uh, in America where there used to be a lot of steel manufacturing and, and now everything is just really broken. And, um, you know, we went uh, to a town not far from Michigan City, which is a really white city, uh, to Gary, which is 90% black community. And uh, going through those areas, sort of coming into that space, you know, you go from having quite nice houses to um, – to areas and suburbs that Australians just couldn't wrap their heads around. I mean, burnt-out buildings, uh, dilapidated buildings, entire towns where you can't get fresh groceries. Uh, You have to travel to the next bigger town. But you can get fast food. You can get loads of fast food, but you can't buy an apple. I'm not surprised. It's... It's crazy. Is mm, mm. what the people are living from? Well, they're living off fast food, I guess. Um, yeah, which, and <laughs> how do they make the money? I mean, like, and well, you, you talk no, about a, a city. Lot of these, how many people? Um, I'd say there's about thirty thousand people still living there. It seems to be that people are fleeing because it is so decimated, um, and there are developers trying to move in to turn it into some sort of bourgeois hipster brewery centered space and attract you know young um people in to live there that have money and no kids etc but i don't know if that's going to happen because the whole area you know there are entire um houses that we went past that just look like they need to be bulldozed someone's already set fire to them and they're still just sort of standing so uh you know those people are uh, have no food access and that's just the reality and that's just one town that I went to. In, in the middle of America? Well, yeah, it's in the it's around Indiana so it's, you know, fairly middle America. It's in what they call the Rust Belt which is the dying sort of part. Uh, and then I went across to Portland in Oregon mm-hmm. on the other side on the West Coast uh, which is a really beautiful, beautiful uh, place probably um, had the sort of strongest sense of grassroots activism that I encountered, Um, but it's completely white. Uh, Oregon was one of the last states to let black people live there. Uh, And ironically, I went to a Black Lives Matter occupation (laughs) uh, in Portland, uh, which is great that people are doing solidarity stuff and and there did end up being at least seven black people amongst the hundred-odd that were there. Um, and they were doing very serious work about trying to prevent police powers being expanded within the local area. And uh, they were preparing for an overnight occupation of the council space, actually. So I went down there for a few hours and um, spoke to the black people I could find. <laughs> and uh, What did I, they say? Uh, you know, they, they laughed. I actually went up to one older lady, uh, Mary, who was for quite a while the only black person there. And said to her quite cheekily, so are you the only black person in Portland? <laughs> to which she laughed hysterically and said, there's a few more but not many. Um, and she told me the story about her, how her family had actually pulled her out, her and her brothers and sisters. You know, she was probably in her 60s or 70s. 
how many years ago her family had pulled them out of LA because of the gang violence and decided to go north to where there was just no no uh, other black people and, and no violence. Uh, so in some ways she saw it as a blessing but also as a disconnection from her people. Um, now the people in Portland are probably some of the most progressive and um, – solidarity-minded people that I've met, having said that, you know, it's not there's a bunch of white racists and a few black people in the town. You'd have to go further south for that. But um, in Portland, I, you know, I, 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 there's not a single activist I didn't meet who, you know, when I said, wow, where are all the black people there? were like, I know, right? So that just seemed to be how Portland operates. And then I went down to San Francisco where I've spent a lot of time over the years um, and it was good to just catch up with some people down there, but that was sort of relaxation before I um, did the long haul flight back to Australia, <laughs> which you know I thought Paris to coming back from Paris last year was bad, but yeah, America's a long way away. But you know, uh, so yeah, two and a half weeks of of really listening and talking to people. Um, How was the election vibe? I mean, like you 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 traveled all around mm. America. You might have like follow like a lot of yeah yeah well I, I was definitely following the election everywhere I went of course people were politically you know activists so they, they were engaged on some level there's a huge amount of fatigue I think you know it's 18 months of campaigning to bring us to this point um I I can almost say of all this the people that I spoke to everyone thinks they're screwed either way Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think there's any um, misconception amongst uh, the activist community that whether it's Trump or Hillary, neither is a good choice for the future of America. Uh, and I actually think that, you know, Trump's work is done. He's stirred up the pot of, you know, racist kind of right-winged um, politic And those people, many of them very poor, disenfranchised white people uh, on the surface, uh, you know, the, the ones that are, that are going to perhaps engage in violence, um, have, have really sort of layered a, a whole other level of, of tension and anxiety into the communities that I was in. However, having said that, you know, one of the misconceptions is that Trump supporters are all poor, disenfranchised white people. They're actually not. You know, he has... Um, He has a lot of uh, wealthy, uh, like-minded um, men behind him. Uh, but Hillary, you know, I mean, let's be real, Hillary has uh, been personally uh, involved in the deaths of uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the world in her previous roles, going way, way back. Uh, and she knows how to work the system and yeah. she has Wall Street in her pocket. So... Uh, You know, I watched the vice presidential debate mm -hmm. in um, Michigan City and then I watched in a bar in Portland with a bunch of people that, you know, it was, it's always hilarious to watch a, a presidential debate uh, in a room full of people drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've got to say, like, one of the most startling things, and I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth, um, the level of absolute superficial rubbish that goes on 
in the in the presidential debates, both from the candidates but also from the post debate commentators. Uh, there, there is nothing of substance, absolutely nothing. It's all spin. It's almost like the media, the mainstream media in America are only capable of commenting on their own media construction. Uh, there was no consideration for policy. And, and in fact, in, in the last debate, there was very little policy actually discussed. And the scary, scary, scariest bit um, is that climate change was not mentioned or brought up once. Not even once. No. Whoa. Now, even in Australian politics, there are two things that I think we still have going for us. And that is that the debates that we do have, while I think they should include Greens as well and various others, at least the debates that we do have are uh, still centred around policy. And the commentary afterwards is still centred around policy. Uh, that is That just doesn't happen. The, the mainstream media and the bulk of Americans that are engaging in the political process by watching the debates yeah. are getting bugger all. Uh, it's just like little. They think they watch, the poli- they watch debates so they engage in politics, even if they don't yeah. talk about like, so proper the, politics. The best way to describe the presidential debates and what they actually mean is, and this really gets to the nub of what's happened to America, they've become their own hyper-reality and they believe that. Um, it's like a game show combined with maybe um, American Idol and some sort some of... science fiction. And some sort of sporting <laughs> event where you, vo- where you like score people out of 10, oh, yeah. right? And so all the commentators do at the end is score out of 10. And while the show's going on, it's just completely surreal, superficial rubbish, you know. Uh, Trump is, you know, clearly a joke and Hillary um, is going to claim this as a victory for women, which I, I find completely disturbing. So when Trump said, like, this election is rigged, is maybe not totally wrong. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I, I totally think that Hillary is going to win. I think she was always going to win, and I'm not sure yeah. how it came to that. There's a lot of discussion in America based on WikiLeaks emails about whether – Um, Hillary actually encouraged Trump to be the Pied Piper um, to, you know, to break and separate up the votes, etc. Who knows? Either way, I, you know, I don't, I can't possibly see Trump winning unless the American population decide to rebel and not vote at all. And then maybe, you know, the politically active people who think they're protesting by not voting um, would let hand it, hand it to Trump. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, I, clearly Hillary is going to be the next president. Do the Americans have uh, other options that uh, the Republicans and Democrats? No. So the, green, the Greens in America, unlike here in Australia, have absolutely no power whatsoever. Um, Nothing, no Congress, no... Very, like... no, very little public profile. I mean, Democracy Now! was inserting Jill Stein into the debate So they would run the debate and then Jill would insert her answers as if she was part of the debate, which, you know, I think is a great thing for them to do. Um, but clearly, you know, not not even when I was hanging with environmental activists, was there any, you know, serious sense that the Greens have any power in America whatsoever? Uh, it truly is a, a two-horse kind of race uh, and they're pretty much the same. So, What's an environmental activist going to vote for, do you reckon? Um, I really feel like a lot of the people that I spent time with are incredibly depressed about the election and, mm-hmm. and where they've been left. I think some of them will vote for Hillary out of fear that Trump will win. Um, but I think a lot of them just won't vote. 
uh, to be perfectly honest, they won't be able to bring themselves to vote for either of them. And, you know, you might remember a few years back in Australia uh, when we, we had the Tony Abbott government in power uh, mm. and I remember just trying to number my ballot paper from the least right-wing nuts, you know, <laughs> and it got to the point where I was like, oh, God, they're all so bad, I don't know who to put next, <laughs> you know. So... Um, I kind of feel like, yeah, a lot of America is in that position. There's not a single person I spoke to. And, and also I might add I have this um, weird knack of spending a lot of time with homeless people when I'm in America. It's happened to me every single time I've been there. And some of the best conversations I had were with people on the streets, yes. homeless people, mainly black men. And uh, there's not a single person that I spoke to from educated uh, organisers and activists to people that aren't interested in activism to homeless people. Everybody knows how – I was going to swear then – everyone knows how F they are. Like they really do. It's just there's no way out. And and so that's sort of broken the grassroots community. Everyone is putting out spot fires. Um, the government is increasingly militarising community spaces – uh, the military is in community spaces because these things might have like a bigger pricing because people feel really depressed, really yeah, done and left yeah. alone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you only have to look at the way they're treating the Native American community at North Dakota right now. You know, they've got the National Guard there. There are people with semi-automatic weapons, drones, dogs, helicopters, pepper spray, tear gas, batons, you know, the... Everywhere I went, people talked about, you know, when you're in a country and people don't know how much time you've spent there, they feel the need to explain how the country works. Yeah. And, you know, what was really startling to me was every person I spoke to who tried to describe where they lived used words like segregated, uh, segregated communities, particularly in Chicago, I might add. In Portland, it's not an issue because there are hardly any people to segregate. You um, mean segregation really between like the, a, a white community and a colored community? Yeah, absolutely. And then even segregation between the black community and, and the brown, Latino, Hispanic communities. Um, you know, and in Chicago in particular, uh, urban warfare between gangs is just, you know, crazy. Every place that I stayed at had just had a shooting, you know, two houses down from In it. Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I had two young Mexican um, guys who lived upstairs from where I was staying explain to me why I shouldn't walk that way or that way, that there'd been a crossfire shooting two houses down couple of days ago, uh, explained how there were seven gangs operating in this area and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, that sounds insane. Sounds really, really unreal. I will, we will have this really short break. I'll play, uh, happy little <laughs> and community announcement, 30 seconds, and we are back and we're trying to definitely talk more about like this election tension segregation and uh, this racial problem in yeah. America. Stay tuned. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. And you're back on Dirt Radio with Colin and Sam. We had a moment talking about the Americans' problem 
issue. We had the chance to have like Sam who spent like two weeks and a half over there and we were just starting to talk about this election tension segregation issue mm. and we're trying to develop about what's the, the problem for Australia and what could be the short term issue and the long term mm. issue if we keep going that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, so born 1970, and I feel like something happened in Australia after the Second World War where we adopted a second empire. So we had the motherland of the UK, and then we moved to America, adopted its culture, many of its policies, uh, you know, aligned with it in terms of foreign policy and military interventions. Um, and especially since 9-11, we've seen when there's been laws that uh, reduce civil liberties, et cetera, in America, they happen over here really quickly. So if we look at America as a potential pathway for where Australia might end up, I, I, we're in a lot of trouble because I really feel that uh, it's going to get a lot worse in America, uh, a hell of a lot worse. Uh, I don't see any movement big enough to push back against the forces of neoliberalism um, and the, you know, the entire culture of violence that's going on there. And I think that the Trump, this election has exacerbated uh, those really sort of polemic views in, in America between um, white sort of racists and, and black people and brown people who are, and Native American people who have been oppressed much like in our country for a very, very long time. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot more violence after the election. And regarding this, uh, this a lot segre- more financial collapse. Regarding this, uh, this segregation, you, you were talking about the, the movement Black Lives Matter. Mm. So we've been, we heard a lot about like this movement maybe a couple of months ago. And yeah. like now the media, they don't make has big move. What's happening at this? Yeah, that's this really, time? yeah, that's really interesting. And I actually, I went to an event where a, a, a black academic, Adolf Reed, was speaking. Uh, about future movements and identity politic. And it seems to me that um, Black Lives Matter has had some really big internal issues uh, around identity politic and and um, who they're going to work with and how they're going to work with people. Uh, so there's been some internal conflict, which I think has perhaps uh, potentially slowed down. But one of the things he said, which I, I kind of – you know, thought was a not very uh, nuanced or or sort of complex understanding of this movement was he he compared Black Lives Matter to Occupy. He said it was the black version of Occupy. Now, I totally reject that personally. I, I know I'm talking about a man who's an academic and he's black and whatever, but I reject that because I was part of Occupy and Occupy was about the resistance of those structural issues that create yes. racism through capitalism and neoliberalism. But Black Lives Matter is a movement of people whose kids are getting shot on the streets. Yeah. There is death involved at every turn for them. Um, so what, what I was seeing, particularly around Chicago, was a massive propaganda push back from the police force. All right. Uh, so they've got these massive billboards on the sides of freeways listing all sh- the faces of all the cops that are being killed and saying blue lives matter. Oh, you know, there evil. are people driving around in the Midwest with uh, bumper stickers and actually um, tailored license plates that have a blue line through it that I symbolizes see, yeah. blue lives matter. It's almost like the police force is baiting the coloured community into um, responding in an aggressive way, which, you know, if you saw that and your 
12-year-old was shot in a park for playing with a toy gun, I'm sure that would outrage you uh, emotionally. And creating more segregation. Creating more segregation, creating more division. Um, So America is ripe for um, a kind of violent racial explosion. And wow. uh, and I think that everyone is struggling to just deal so much with the day-to-day. There is no huge movement. So, you know, I think we, we often have held America up and gone, well, America is the superpower. And in my mind, I've kind of gone, well, hopefully activists and movement in America will help pull that down, right? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's possible. Um, one, protesters face much harsher penalties Secondly, you know, they're dealing with communities that are poisoned by lead. They're dealing with police force that will rubber bullet shoot you if you break curfew. And straight up, I mean, like they're coming like fully harmed. It's looking as a as a French person, I can definitely see like the police response, but the Americans yeah. one is way too big. Yeah, it's yeah. massive. It's like military SWAT yeah. force coming yeah. down the streets. So, I, I mean, I guess in a way, w- one of the things I said to several of my close friends over there who do amazing work, and I just want to separate out the American empire and the administration from the people, yes. um, because there are amazing activists down there. Some of them just shut down the tar sands oil lines. Some <laughs> of them are in North Dakota fighting every day for our water and, and for the the planet's future of pushing back from fossil fuels. Some of them are on the streets risking getting shot to stand up for black people and brown people. So there are really good people working over there and I I really want to make sure that the individual is not confused with the state. Um, But I really feel like, and this is what I said to them, it's almost like the rest of the world needs to sit you down as your friends and do an intervention and just say, look, you think you're this because that's what you project, but actually you're this and you are screwing over yourselves and the entire planet. And if you don't stop now, we're going to have to leave you and you're going to have to go into rehab, you know. It's time for rehab. <laughs> it's time for, for rehab. America. You need to halve your meal sizes, <laughs> get off the dirty drugs and stop shooting people everywhere you go and taking everything over you know and I think a lot a lot of people know this but the way it plays out in Australia is if we're not careful that's where we will end up Uh, and and I think for me the biggest thing coming home was the realization that we still have a chance to turn things around here we still have a chance to turn around our political process our environmental uh, and our social and cultural spaces we have a chance to transition to something sustainable and more democratic America is going to have to, I think, descend into quite mad violence before they're able to achieve that because of the machinations of the empire's machinery. Um, And lucky for us in Australia, we got like plenty of amazing examples all around the world for countries who've been able to do amazing job for their own policy, for their own land. So we can take these ideas and just trying to make them work for Australia. Yeah. And in some ways, I think we really have to check ourselves and understand how embedded we've become as just the military pawn of America's foreign policy. And we adopt all of their surveillance and anti-civil rights laws. And we're going to end up like that if we're not very careful. So to grassroots movement in Australia, I say follow our own path and and trust ourselves because America is no longer the shining light on the hill. It is not a benevolent superpower. It is a desperate, gasping, fossil fuel, neoliberal-driven 
country that cannot separate God from its own politic. There are places where you can't buy beer on Sunday because it's God's day. Whole states, right? This is not a country that can even separate out the concept of Judeo-Christianism from from the state. Uh, We need to really back up and back away from America. And the sooner we do that, the more likely we are to develop a country that can actually lead the, the the people forward into something more sustainable and less violent. Otherwise, we are going to end up like that country and there will be places where you can't get fresh food. Okay. Uh, We're running a yeah. bit of time at We the are. moment and I would like to have a, a little idea of what can I do as an Australian mm. right now or in the next following weeks to trying to help mm. to help Australia not to become America. Be prepared to step up and fight those big issues like the TPP and anti-militarism and anti-corporate, multinational corporate takeovers. Uh, We have to weed ourselves out. Be prepared to speak out to your politicians and say, we do not have to follow America's social policies, education, health policies. We are actually better than that. And the proof is in the pudding in America. It is decaying. It is dying. It is violent. It is obese. And it is really sick. It's a really sick country. And to all the beautiful people that keep fighting over there, like, wow, if I was there, I'd probably leave. 